Hello and welcome to the Related to Geeks book club. This month's book is Circe by Madeline Miller. And this has been on my to-read list for so very long. So I'm glad we were finally able to get to it in this book club. But Dad, how did, how did you feel about this book? I thought it was delightful. I delightful. Enjoyed, I enjoyed every bit of it. Now, that said, um, compared to the Neuromancer, you know, I, I never really was worried about whether it was really good or not. Now, mm-hmm. um, it is a good book and very, uh, a lot of fun to read and um, uh, a very interesting point of view and and based in historical mythology, whatever that means. I mean, the <laughs> literature, the literature of the Greeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, I was surprised how much I remembered, and I was surprised with a little bit of research, um, some things that I didn't remember, or maybe never mm-hmm. knew. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with me, is I finished the book today, and really just like an hour before we started recording, and had to eat dinner still, so I didn't have a huge amount of time to like look stuff up, but that's always, whenever I read any kind of uh, Greek mythology retellings or modernizations or different point of views. I always want to like go back and like refresh myself on the original myths or uh, whatever information is available that's a little bit more historical. And um, I didn't have a chance to do that this time, but you know, I, I remember the basic. I, I didn't have a chance to really go back and refresh my memory on a lot of the stuff that I would have liked to. I had a strategy. I read the uh, novel without refreshing any memory at all, just having memory from when I was in high school and books I'd read and this and that, like everybody mm-hmm. knows a little bit of Greek mythology. Um, and um, uh, uh, whenever she um, uh, started turning those guys into pigs, I'm going, oh, that's Cersei. Now I remember and uh uh, because that's the most famous story about her um uh but then uh after i read it about a week after i finished or five days after i finished it or so i started doing a little research and filled in a lot of holes and you know she's really every every little twist she's got in there is like verified you know Mm -hmm. in the literature it's it's not all from Homer. Um, yeah. Some from other, uh, you know, post-Homeric writers. Well, and I would say it definitely felt that way to me specifically because there were some things that I think if you were writing this completely out of your own head, there's like some plot holes and some things that don't really like line up the way you would. So it felt more historically accurate. It felt like she was actually trying to pull everything from something, some source material and put it together in a narrative and then add a little bit, you know, of her own prose and, and uh, insight into the story. But there's definitely things that I would, I would feel as a writer, if you were trying to generate a lot of this stuff from scratch, there's some, there's some missteps so I had I had a feeling that it was all pulled from source material, but I hadn't had a chance to verify that. Okay, so as always, uh, this is not a spoiler-free discussion. So if you hadn't read the book yet and you want to read it before we spoil it for you, 
go read it and then come back and listen. But uh, mm-hmm. in particular, you were talking about plot holes. Um, yeah, I went <laughs> and met my dad and killed him, you know, and then I brought his wife and his son back home with me. <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. the way that's the way the story goes in Greek mythology. So, I mean, that's hard to swallow. I mean, like, huh? And then they all yeah. come back to Circe's, you know, like Penelope comes to Circe's. But that's if I had been more firm in my understanding of the Greek myth, I would have seen that coming because that's mm-hmm. the way it is in the myth. Um, but, yeah, I, it was hard to understand when you read it. Um uh, from the point of view of most people who haven't remembered that detail. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's definitely, I feel like they're able to pull it off with like Hermes and make Hermes kind of a through line that, that made sense throughout the entire story. But there's a lot of like early story characters who may be referenced as memories or things, you know, in the later story, but don't really have any role in the later story because there's nothing in that time period that that shows how those characters were interacting in the actual myth mythos so she didn't make stuff up about cersei and her siblings at the end to try to you know add some closure to those relationships but at the same time i kind of like that because it's more historically accurate because of the pulling from actual like historical stories when putting this together there's a certain lack of closure amongst some of the characters because there's not actually any stories to pull from so especially with Cersei and her siblings I felt like there was a lot of stuff at the front end with that and then they just kind of were written out of the story um, because there wasn't anything else there yeah plus they went so bad they went so far bad she didn't want anything to do with them Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, generally, not always, but generally, um, you like the protagonist of the story you're reading. You tend to, the author usually writes the protagonist, even if the pet protagonist is a very complex and normally um, despised character. Um, uh, the rewrite, at least, you liked Cersei, you know, and Cersei, you kind of tried to understand her motivations a little, you know, um, but... Uh, her her brother and sister they were completely unlikable they were awful people or gods um uh, awful people gods yeah awful people gods um and it is a kind of written kind of as a autobiography Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean a biography kind of it's almost from her point of view you know but you get those other views um but uh um, but it's definitely biographical, so you have that thousands mm-hmm. of years with just her and her sibling in the first like chapter, you know, and you go thousands yeah. of years, and there's no um, actual reference for that. She made all that crap up, um, uh, but she was the daughter of Helios. That's all correct, and mm-hmm. all that, you know. Um, and then you have her banished, you know, and uh, and then it's the actual kind of like start of her growth and she undergoes a lot of growth she's uh, um we were discussing last time or no not last time but with the cory doctorow 
uh, about how you like character development. And I think she had a lot of character development in this story. How's your yeah. take? My take is she does and she doesn't because I feel like a lot of the story itself is about stories um, because she's always getting stories from different sources and she's always learning of the world because of her isolation through all of these different sources. Uh-huh. Um, so she kind of, she does have her own journey, but her own journey is such a weird isolated thing um, that you spend a lot of time in other stories. And there's part of me that doesn't like that very much. And it's kind of, writing yourself into a corner when you pick Cersei to be the character that you write about because of that isolation aspect of, of what they were going for. Um, because I don't know. I feel like at times it almost felt like a greatest hits. Um, <laughs> where it's just like, Hey, remember the Minotaur? We're going to do a little bit of the Minotaur. Hey, remember Icarus? Hey, here's a little blip about him. Now we're going to have a little side bit about, um, Odysseus and that took a lot of the book yeah. I mean but obviously that's the biggest part of her that's story the, is that's being the part, main of that. part of the Cersei story yeah that and I don't I'm myth. not sure that there is a actual mythological connection with Daedalus except through the fact that um her sister was mm-hmm. menace and did birth the Minotaur you know so that's that's how the, that's the tie-in but she has to kind of like pull some threads together yeah. to make that happen, yeah. And she well, has I've to, read. she has to conveniently allow the um, uh, exile to be temporarily re- released, you know, so that she can worm that in there. Mm-hmm. But I like that part, you know. I liked her relationship with that list. I liked the Icarus. I liked working the Icarus story in, even yeah. though it's really not related. Yeah. And I think that was, there was a couple of times where I was just like, there were certain sections of this book that I felt were fairly skimmable if you're really familiar with the source material. Um, and I felt like the uh, uh, Odysseus stuff was almost like repeated like two or three times where you heard the same stories over and over again about Odysseus. And that was, that was a little bit redundant to me. But I know there's a lot of people who aren't nearly as familiar with the source material as I am. So they they would probably need that to help with some of the context. The thing I liked about the Odysseus part is that not only did it give a completely different view of Odysseus than the heroic Greek mm-hmm. Odysseus that we all know and love, um, but it gave the heroic Greek point of view and then she grew into understanding yeah you know that uh really he's an ass yeah and and (laughs) at troy he was and to his men he was and to all the people he fought with he was and it, it isn't like i mean it's like we heard this story about this guy who's a total jerk and yeah. made him, and we thought he was a hero because everyone was saying he was a hero. But if you just separate that from the actual stories, he was an ass. 
Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that it took a novelization of uh, uh, another character's point of view to begin to see that, especially when you see that through uh, uh, his son by uh, Penelope, Tele- Telemachus's eyes, you know, and his complicity, Te- Telemachus's complicity in Odysseus's evil. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and that's actually a thing in the mythology, too, because... It's. I didn't really remember this, but when I went and reread the story, I, it it uh, triggered something. And and Timelicus did steal the bows of the suitors after they had tried to shoot. And I remembered that part of the myth um, when I reread that today. Um, mm-hmm. And so, even on the night that Odysseus came and first came home and first saw Telemachus before he went in to see Penelope. He enlisted Telemachus in his evil and had Telemachus steal all those posts from those suitors so he could kill them in a cold-blooded fashion. <laughs> and they couldn't mm-hmm. do anything about it. No fighting back or nothing. Just slaughter. you know. <laughs> and yet that's the actual story. That's the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Telemachus, his son, stole the bows and then Odysseus mowed them down. You know, and... That is like a culmination of the Odyssey story. That's the big success. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it was nice getting this other point of view. <laughs> I, I like that you got this perspective because for me, like every Greek myth I read, I'm just like default. Everybody's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's just a bad guy. Just straight up. Everybody's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the story of Odysseus is um, a heroic um, road story novel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, uh, there's a uh, term, a term for that. Anyway, uh, wish I remembered it, but it is known in America as the road story, Jack Kerouac mm-hmm. on the road, or Don Quixote is a road story. Mm-hmm. Oh, Picaresque. Okay, it's a Picaresque, and it's the first Picaresque, and he's the first. Uh, protag- adventuring protagonist you know, not the first in the world but the first earliest historically that we have the whole story would would Gilgamesh be a picarest I don't know I feel like Gilgamesh would be the, would be the first <laughs> is, that, is that pre-Homer is I Gilgamesh believe so pre-Homer yeah see I don't I know be- and I haven't read Gilgamesh <laughs> so First for me, <laughs> earliest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know when when was Gilgamesh written and who wrote it and all that. And I'll have. To I always thought that. Gilgamesh was like the earliest. Yeah, but I may be crazy. Yeah, but anyway, the Homer's very early, and uh, the Iliad is uh, not a novel; it is a poem. But the Odyssey is a novel, very much. I mean, it's a poem too, but it's it's very much uh, adventure, uh, uh, page turning narrative, you know. And mm-hmm. and your tendency always when reading that kind of novel is to identify with the protagonist. And independent of the fact that he was just stealing crap right and left everywhere he went and causing trouble and killing people and and letting his men get killed and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That that Odysseus. And then um uh that uh 
Telagonus, Telagonus, Telagonus. Anyway, um, Cersei's child um, in the myth uh, uh, did kill Odysseus, but there's a whole lot more Odysseus story mm-hmm. between the returning home and um, and his death um, that uh, didn't fit um, in this story, you know, because. He had to be an evil asshole when he got home. But really, he got back to Penelope, and he went and ate there. There's all these other adventures and more adventures. And then there's alternate endings right and left with the myths, you know. Um, In one of the alternate endings, um, Odysseus, um, when they take Odysseus to be buried, Circe raises him from the dead. Mm -hmm. She heals him. And then she makes everybody immortal. So there's <laughs> Telemachus, Telegonus, uh, Penelope, kind of Odysseus, the and Susie. They're all on that island. They're all immortal. Oh, that's yeah. a happy ending. Boy, that's going to work out. And then, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's a mythological ending. So, um, but it was interesting. I read about that after I um, read her plot twist, um, which, of course, um, the plot twist is nowhere in mythology. Mm-hmm. That's entirely. Madeline Miller's plot twist at the end, and it's just—I loved it. You know, I it's loved also, it. I, I could feel it coming, but I still loved it. She presented it so well. Well, and it's also presented in a way that you don't know if it works, um, which is cool as well. Yeah, but I assume it works. Everything else she ever did did. You know, <laughs> she's a, she's a transmutationist, you know. Yeah, and she's successful at everything she tries. Yeah, and it was certainly foreshadowed at the very beginning when she started to use magic on herself, and it was just like, nope, I I can't do this. I can't transform myself. I'm afraid of what I'll turn into um, kind of situation. So, Yeah. I thought it was interesting that at the beginning she felt like she was transforming people based on their their true selves, basically, Mm -hmm. who who they really were. And then there was that counter argument, which I think is definitely the more accurate um, from her brother. That was just mm-hmm. like, no, you transformed these people based on what you thought they were. Um, which um, uh, really didn't really happen with Glaucus so much. Um, but maybe it did. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. she thought he was, you know. But some kind of sea god, if he's going to be a god. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah. She was, she was definitely trying to turn him into a god, and it made sense that he would be a sea god. So yeah. that, that, that would be the logical that, place. That little sub-story is out of mythology, too. So I thought that was interesting. That mm-hmm. even, even that little tiny detail in that story, her, her disillusionness, her uh, early um, infatuation with a human, and how it in spite of her transmutational abilities, didn't work out as she'd hoped it would um, and how it hurt her, you know. Um, but that mm-hmm. little story is actually based on um, on mythology. She, According to mythology, she did have a thing with Glaucus, the sea god. Mm-hmm. Or one of the sea gods. So that's uh, that was interesting how she... I, I like the way she wove all of the all of these little bits of stories that have survived mm-hmm. into 
one continuous narrative, even though some of it's a little bit of a stretch from yeah. the mythology. Most of it is, um, you know, based on the mythology. But of uh -huh. course, the biggest twist isn't Odysseus being an evil asshole. The biggest twist is Circe being a empathetic person who likes mortals <laughs> mm -hmm. because in actual fact in mythology she's the evil witch she's the one yeah. who's turning um men into swine you know that she's like the prototype evil witch <laughs> yeah yeah i um i've read a similar book that takes like a lesser known um female uh, character of Greek mythology and actually expands it into a full novel and that was Alcestis mm -hmm. um, which Alcestis is um, what's his name Admetus or something like that it's his wife it's the one where it's the wife that basically sacrifices herself for her husband and gets sent to Hades and then Hercules visits the husband realizes the wife has sacrificed herself and then goes and like rips her from hell and brings her back home <laughs> in true Hercules fa fashion. Yeah. But the, uh, the book I read was completely from Alcestis's point of view and did like her backstory and did her time in Hades, the three days that she spent in there. And um, I did that in college actually for a paper when I took a mythology course. And it's kind of interesting to see how authors figure out ways to flesh out these characters that I guess would get very little screen time when you look at Greek mythology as a whole. Um, but I remember that one. I think that one took a little bit more liberties than this one even um, and spent a, a lot more time, I would say, with um, some of the the uh, um, other gods. Uh, like a lot more time, I think, was spent on Poseidon and... Um, obviously Hades and uh, 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 Persephone. Um, it's been years since I've read that one, so that might be an interesting one for you to check out as well, Dad. If you're if you're into this, and then obviously Madeline Miller has another book out, which is Song of Achilles, mm -hmm. which is why I think Achilles gets name dropped a whole lot in this book because <laughs> that book came first. So, yeah. um. It's definitely, she's building her own universe of these Greek myths. And and they're all independent stories, but they all may reference each other as, as they go on. And, as Greek uh, myths do. Uh, you mentioned, of course, that uh, Hercules uh, went down to Hades, which not supposed to be able to do that crap. And then, of course, Odysseus did it too. And um, so those are two of the like main heroes out of Greek mythology. And they both went to Hades uh, and brought someone back or did something that they had to do, talk to someone or whatever it was they had to do. And um, mm -hmm. um, and ever since, every fantasy hero in every book, at some point, and if it's a big trilogy or something, they got to go to Hades. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Riordan, his heroes go to Hades. They're struggling through, trying to get out and all that. And um, uh, There's a I, reason for that. <laughs> There's a reason for that, and it's not because of the hero's journey. It's because Hades is so freaking interesting, yeah. <laughs> and every just... author wants to write it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Hades. If it was like one of Hercules' trials was to, you know, go to the local market and buy some wheat, it wouldn't be something that every author would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'll say about Cersei that I liked is I liked the little um, tagline that they had at the end where she was kind of reflecting on gods and how she always viewed gods as the opposite of death, um, but actually that they may be more dead than even the the humans who have who have passed on because they never change um and i like that um and not just because it makes me think of vampires from buffy the vampire slayer which are a very similar concept of being dead meaning they can never change or uh mature in any way they are they are forever trapped um in a single state uh but i think it's a good way of explaining the, the Greek gods, too, as, as this kind of forever frozen in their own immaturity and, and being very much dead in that way. Um, obviously, life and death is a, a purely mortal thing, as discussed in mythology, but if you're going to assign one of those two, two gods... I think she's right that they lean more towards dead than than alive. Yeah, and I think Madeline Miller did a a, a, a great job of pointing out that um, these gods didn't really have good lives, and even mm-hmm. even as portrayed um, in Greek mythology, they were powerful, but they weren't happy. They didn't. Things didn't work out well for them, ever, mm-hmm. you know. Things were always crap for the gods. Uh, yeah, mortality is a gift. That's where, yeah. man, that's where man had it over the gods. Yeah. They get to die, you know, that's a, yeah. I think that's also something that was kind of a through line of this book was this idea of, stories and different stories and a lot of the stories were stories of mortals right um that was that was uh, that big long list that she listed at the end those were all mortals that she was talking about um when she was talking about all of the, the the stories that she all of these passing figures in her life because of her longevity versus theirs um but i think but that's something that's repeated in a lot of Greek mythology, too, is that even though they look down on mortals, there's something about mortals that is so captivating in the fact that they have only so long to live and somehow end up with way better stories than the gods do. The gods tend to just have their very hedonistic ways and just live out their lives that way and <laughs> never change. <laughs> Yeah, um, and humans, and then, humans yeah, have yeah. more nuance and more character development. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's also shown in like the idea of scars, right? And the idea of how humans can be scarred and gods can't. Yeah, is this idea that that's also like writing a story, right? The scars that people wear are are part of their story. I think so, and um, uh, Telegonus, who. In the Madeline Miller ended up founding Rome, which is 
also a stretch there. They, they don't know that. But <laughs> he, was, he was a very important figure in, um, in Greek mythology. And there's the Iliad and the Odyssey, and then there's uh, uh, two more books, uh, and they comprise the Telegony. And mm-hmm. and uh, the the actual story about Telegonus or Telegonus is um, lost. I think we have two sentences from it or something like that, and commentary on it. Um, so we know something about it, but that um, that period of time uh, uh, between when he got back to Ithaca, Odysseus got back to Ithaca and uh, and before he died that's a whole nother odyssey mm-hmm. there where uh, Odysseus went all over the place and did all sorts of uh, terrible stuff some more and then um, uh, after he died then I, then I guess they think that's when the, uh, Telegony goes and it then becomes the story of his son by Circe also the whole um Falling in love with your husband's <laughs> son <laughs> or your lover's son. It's, it's, it's very accurate to Greek mythology. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's kind of weird nowadays. You know, you um, you get that whole like Woody Allen vibe coming out of that. <laughs> it's, it not, it's not exactly incest, but it's not exactly right either. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those. If you're if you're familiar enough with Greek mythology, like I mean, I was calling that mm-hmm. very early on. As soon mm-hmm. as they started interacting, I was like, "Yeah, these two, these two are going to be a thing." Um, yeah. And I think <laughs> I mean, that's... as soon as they sat down in that silver chair, I was just like, "Yep, there it is." <laughs> yeah, and I think that's entirely a Madeline Miller add-in, just like mm-hmm. the um, uh, loss of godhood. The, the taking the other direction, not yeah. not turning everyone else into gods, but instead renouncing her own godhood. Yeah. So that that's um that's where she um, added her own twist. She um, added her own point of view all the way through. Um, it's a it's a fun read. It's a uh, you can appreciate the craft mm-hmm. that she put into it, the work, um, the research, and the rethinking of yes. these characters that everybody is aware of and uh, and placing them into a uh, a novel sized story whereas if you take all of the writings we have about Circe in the Odyssey and other places it's probably like a few short chapters mm-hmm so, yeah, um, and I think that's why some of that, what I would call filler, was necessary to like flesh it out a little bit and give a little bit more context and make some connections that maybe don't actually exist in the actual text. Yeah, um, it's a um, it's a story about Cersei, so she had to be important everywhere where it was important to be important. You know, mm-hmm. it's like um, uh, in Hercules, the television series. You know. Or especially Xena, um, uh, if there's something that happened in histor in history, then either Xena or Hercules was there. 
because it's their story and they were obviously important everywhere even places they never were uh-huh. yeah so um but i i like that um with the cersei story i like the addition because it wasn't out of nowhere it was her sister who birthed yeah. the Manitar, and it was Daedalus who made the maze. So we got that actual connection there, but she had to kind of draw a lot of yeah. strings to make that work. And there's other places um, besides at the end with Telemachus where some of it's whole cloth. New material. Yeah. I think it scratches that same itch that... Um Arthurian legend retellings scratch for me. Like, I love reading a big variety of retellings of Arthurian legend just because I like to see a lot of people's different interpretations. Um, It tends to be a little bit more focused than Greek mythology because Greek mythology, like you said, is so widespread and there's so much that you can pull from. Um, So I know that there's, there's definitely categories. Like, I know, like, Hades and Persephone have so many different stories about them um, because that's just such a you know classic weird love story that people like to put their own twist on Um, but I think um, it's kind of inspired me to pick up more of these different Greek mythology retellings specifically because I think I will relate to them and enjoy them the same way that I enjoy the Arthurian ones so, uh, mandatory Terry Pratchett reference here. Um, the Wintersmith was a retelling of the Persephone story. Mm-hmm. Uh, substantial retelling, not at all really yeah. the same, but uh, the same uh, fundamental issue with uh, uh, Winter refusing to leave. Yeah. That was a great book. Yeah. You should read You should read all the Tiffany, Tiffany Yankee books and all of the Terry Pratchett books. Now, go do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I'm really excited to pick up Song of Achilles. I think most people say that's her better of the two to try to get to that one um, pretty soon because I enjoyed this a lot. And I think I think she has a good approach of pulling enough from actual myth and then twisting it and then also putting her own spin and giving her own narrative and her own twist to it that I'm interested to see what else she does. Me too. And I noticed that Song of Achilles is on Overdrive, which is where I got the uh, Cersei book from Overdrive. So I didn't even have to buy it. (laughs) It's it's due tomorrow. Um, So I think that's, going to be my new plan if i get the book on overdrive i'm going to try to get it two weeks before of course i had it was on hold it's popular book i had to put it on hold and wait for it to be available but Mm -hmm. then i got it read plenty of time in advance to let my mind cogitate and do a little bit bit of extra research which is makes it a lot more fun um yeah for this type especially yeah. yeah by the way just to educate you, sir. Gilgamesh. Uh, the first thing that comes up is the Epic of Gilgamesh is an epic poem from ancient Mesopotamia that is often regarded as the earliest surviving great work of literature and the second oldest religious text. Okay. So, so earlier than <laughs> Gilgamesh <Homer>. is first. <laughs> Prior, yeah. And I haven't read it. Um, and so 
Um, it may it's well good. be a picaresque uh, narrative. I it think. is. It definitely is. Okay, great. Um, I would even go so far as to say it would be a good book club candidate. Really? <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, I have found another book club candidate. Um, okay. And it's uh, 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 Brennan Sanderson. And it's, called, and it's called Warbreaker. It is a standalone novel, uh, which is hard in his to find in his work. And it is um, a Creative Commons, so it's a free download available to anyone who wants to read it in a variety of formats, just like the Cory Doctorow stuff. So that's... Mm. Uh, and it's also good. I've read it. I'll read it again. Um, but we could do a Sanderson and a Gilgamesh and something else then. So we're two-thirds of the way there. Yeah. We practically got this next cycle figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good because it's starting. <laughs> yeah, next month. We're two-thirds yeah. two of the way through figuring out what our next cycle is. That turns out we should have already had planned. Well, tonight's, tonight, now is the time. Now is the time to plan. Now, what we don't have, well, we have the Brandon Sanderson, so that's big. And uh, so, what we don't have is the in between. Um, maybe we need something. Yeah, something that's it's not Sanderson necessarily a big or name. Sci-fi? It's fantasy, definitely fantasy. It's fantasy. Yeah. Okay. It's a magic so we system. Need- we need a sci-fi. Yeah, because Gilgamesh is fantasy too, or epic mythology, or whatever. Um, so um, have you read Armada yet by Ernest Klein? I haven't read that one yet. Who wrote it? Ernest Klein. Ernest Same Klein. guy that did Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I like Ready Player One. Armada is it a standalone model? Uh, standalone novel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, and when was it brought out? 2015. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when the Warbreaker came out, probably before then. But they're both, uh, I mean, Sanderson's as big a name as you get in fantasy right now. And Klein's a big name, too. And uh, I, I imagine Armada's on Overdrive, but if not, we'll figure <laughs> out how to Gilgamesh is also a big name. <laughs> Gilgamesh is uh, public domain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Isn't that great? Turns out. But uh, hey, that's two out of three that are that we know are good are free downloads, free and legal downloads that we can direct people to the thing and try to get some more readers. So anyway, um it's not a big deal to me if we get more readers, but I do I enjoy the discussion with you and I I enjoy it when we have other voices too. So uh, Yeah. Armada's definitely available on Overdrive though. Okay, well let's uh, let's do that then, and uh, uh, we'll decide um, uh, in the uh, related to geeks book club group what order, and I'll figure out the dates and all that. Anything else? Nope. I guess I should just record an outro or something, huh? Yeah, that'd be great. So this concludes our discussion of Circe by Madeline Miller. Next month, we will meet again on the third Monday, right back here at Tinker's Tavern in the Gamer Plus chat to discuss Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. 
Bye. Goodbye. All right. You have been listening to the Related to Geeks Book Club, recorded June 15th, 2020, in the Gamer Plus chat rooms at Tankar's Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit relatedtogeeks.com. For more information about the book club, go to Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at gamerplus.org. Megan and Larry discussed Circe by Madeline Miller. The music for this show is Gentle Rain by Harry Larry, recorded at Harry Larry Land.